I, if you guys didn't get part one of this message, I think it's in the back. My wife made quite a few copies. Tonight, I want to. I'm not going to conclude this yet because I don't believe that we're done with this about taking your city for Christ. But I just want to just re just refresh real quickly those of you who were there with us that I talked about a couple weeks ago about. Hezekiah, he had to tear down the altars. He had to tear down the high places, all the religious things. In 2 Corinthians 10.4 it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to tear down, to demolish strongholds. Hezekiah started with the people and then they followed. It says in, in 2 Chronicles 31, when it, all this had ended, the Israelites, I want to tell you, the Springvilleites, the Springvilleites went down to, we went back to their town in Judah and they smashed the sacred stones, they cut down the Asherah poles, they destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. And after they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and their own property. What I want you guys to understand is when, when he, he made this pro- proclamation to tear these high places down, it wasn't just him doing it. The people grasped what was being said to them and they took it within themselves and they went and they took it back to where they lived and they tore down the strongholds. That's what God wants us to do. This can't be just me. It can't be just Pastor Billy. It can't be just Pastor Mark. It has to be all of us. We have to be the ones that go back to our towns and we begin to tear down the strongholds. The second thing that he did, again, I'm reviewing, okay, was he opened the doors of the temple. God wants us to open our hearts. He wants us to prepare a place where he can reside. Cleansing, purification, and repentance. God wants us to open the doors of the temple. And I'm not just talking about a building. I'm talking about a place where God can dwell. The next thing he did was he cut off the supply to the enemy. Remember, he, he saw them coming to Jerusalem. They were coming to attack him. So what does he do? He says, let's board up, let's block off the, the, the wells and all the springs and everything that's going out there to give them water. There's no need for them to be able to water their horses and do everything they need to do. So they cut off that supply. That's what we have to do. We have to cut off the supply of the enemy. The last thing we, de- we need to do is bind together. In Second Chronicles 3.12, it says, And also in Judah, the hand of God was upon the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. So what I'm telling you guys tonight is it's not just about somebody up front doing this. This is about for you. You have to go back. You have to tear down the strongholds. Maybe they're in your own house. Maybe you need to go home and there's things in your own house that have to be torn down. God is calling us to do that. He's saying this. He wants us to have unity of mind that we come together in oneness and we say, you know what? I'm in agreement with this. I want to see the power of God move in our city. I want to see transformation come. We need to, the, the next thing, the part about opening the doors is we need to redeem, restore, and renew. I didn't spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to understand tonight, this is how we open the doors. This is how we open the doors so the presence of God come in. We, we repent for the sins of the past. That's the redeeming. 
We repent for the sins of the present. Those that we're walking in, we that's the restoring. The transformation and commitment is that renewing. So God wants us to redeem, restore, and renew. He's calling us all to that place in our lives. That we take the step forward and we say, you know what? God, I'm going to redeem those things. You know what? You may have to go back into your own past history. You know, we've done that with some of the families here. Because some of the, the families, they have roots that go back very deep in this city. And some of those roots are, 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 are things of the Spirit that are ugly and foul, and they have to be cut off. Those generational curses have to be cut off. See, some of you guys, you're wondering today, why am I walking in all this havoc? It probably is because maybe somebody, remember I told you many, many months ago, I said that there are 30 people in alignment before you to get to the fourth generation to where you stand right now. So someplace along the line, maybe you're not walking in sin today, but maybe the sins of your fathers, your forefathers, are coming down unto you. And, go, and we have to cut those things off. Redeem, restore, and renew. Habakkuk 3.2 says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. That's what God is calling us to. That's, that's the prayer of my heart today. God, I have heard of what you've done in the past. I heard of what you did at Azusa Street. I have heard of what you did in the 17th century. I have heard about what you did with Charles Finney. I've heard about the men of God that have walked in oneness with you. I have heard of how Paul's shadow healed the sick. I have heard about the handkerchiefs that were put on the sick and they were, they were cleansed. You know what? God says this. I don't want it to just happen back there. I want it to happen in my day. <laughs> Bringing revival is not an easy task. In 2 Kings chapter 8, excuse me, 18. Let me get a drink of water. 1817. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army. From Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Washerman's Field. They called for the king. They were calling for Hezekiah. And Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joha, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to meet him. So I want you to get the picture here. The picture is this. The, um, the Assyrian army has brought all their, their commanders and they said, listen, I want you to go because we've already taken over some of the strong cities that outlie in Jerusalem. We've already conquered them. Remember, the Assyrian army, their, their intention was to conquer the world. So here, they've conquered all these cities. They've conquered countries. And now they're at the doorstep of Jerusalem. I want you guys to get the picture and the, 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 um, the immensity of what's taking place. Because the Assyrians, remember, that was a nation that set up right before Persian Empire came about. So here we got the Assyrians, and they're at the doorstep of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah is there standing in the gap. And he sends his officials out and he says, Okay, go talk to him and see what he's got to say. The enemy presents himself. When we choose to take an opposing position to the enemy, I will guarantee you this, he will always show himself. He's not going to sit back. He wants to confront. He's that way. The devil is a confronter. See, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, it says, After all that Hezekiah so faithfully had done, 
Sennacherib, this king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and he had intended to wage war against Jerusalem. See, here's what happens. He sees this taking place. He sees he's already, he's already taken some of the outlying territories. Think about it. Here we are in Springville. He's already got Porterville. He's already got, he's already got um, Strathmore. And he says, he's coming, up, he's coming up one night and he says, guess what? I'm coming to visit you guys now. And we know he's been here. So he says, the enemy will always wage war. He will make an initial assault. He will take some territory. This happens even in, in, when, we're, when we become saved. In, our first, in the first part of our salvation, the enemy is going to present himself and then he's going to take as much ground as he can back that you just got from him. That's the way he operates. And he's going to do the same thing when we're trying to take a city for Christ. He says, you know what? I'm going to come in and that initial assault will just bring fear to them. And you know what they'll do? They'll back off. Because that's what we do. As Christians, that's what we do. How many people have you known who've, who've come to Christ and then soon right after that you hear, well, what are they doing? They're, just, they're, they're back living in the world. You know why? Because the enemy assaulted and they said, ooh, I didn't realize there was going to be a battle involved in this. I thought it was just going to be, you know, they tell me on TV when I watch those guys that I'm going to be rich and wealthy. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be prosperous. I'm not going to have to fight a battle. No, but see, the truth is, is the enemy is going to always present himself. He is going to come to your doorstep and he's going to push as far as he can get that God will allow. And then what happens is this. The enemy begins to rant. Who have you trusted? Who? You think you're ready for war? Your words are empty, he says. Who are you putting your faith in? You're putting in your faith in the allies of Egypt? See, that's what he was telling Hezekiah. You think Egypt is going to be able to help you? They're not going to be able to help you. I've conquered everything. I've conquered everything around you. Everything that you see is Assyria. I've already taken the northern territory. Israel's already mine. I'm shipping their king back over to Assyria right now as we speak. See, that's how the enemy works. He looks at us and he says, Hey, you think you're really doing something? Guess who I've got in my back pocket? See, that's how the enemy works. He, he wants to rant and he wants to dis, dis, disparage everything we've done in, in, the, in the circle of Christ. This happens every single time. Let me show you the areas of your failure. Let me show you your shortcomings. Let me show you where you lack. That's what the enemy does. He's going to show you all those things. Let me show you where you didn't fast when you should have. Let me show you where you didn't pray when you should have. Let me tell you all these things that you're not doing. See, in, in 2 Kings 18.23, he says, this is the enemy speaking, Assyrian king. He says, come now, now make a bargain with my master. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can even put riders on them. He's, he's challenging them. He's saying, listen... You guys aren't even big enough. You couldn't even bring out 2,000 men to put on horses if I set them out here for you to fight me. He says, come on, make a bargain with me. Come on, settle down. You don't need to be a sold out, radical Christian. All you have to be is one of these lukewarm people. You can exist right in here. It's comfortable. He said, no, listen, I'm calling you out of that. He says there, he says, 
The enemy always wants us to settle. He always wants to give us, in his eyes, what a bargain. See, in verse 25, he says, I have come to attack this place and destroy it. In fact, it was God who told me to come against you. Now remember, this is the Assyrian, this is the Assyrian commander telling this to Hezekiah's men. God told me to come and attack you. See, when, when, we, get, when we get a word like that from the enemy, we want to shrink back. Mm, we don't want to fight no more. See, I thought this thing was going to be easy. I thought this being a disciple of Christ was something that we just, you kind of glide through. I thought taking a city for Christ was something that just happens miraculously and all of a sudden it's done. See, look at this as the spiritual battle that's going on in our lives today. I want you to see the picture of what's going on with Hezekiah and look at it with the spiritual picture of what God is doing today. He sends out his commanders to speak against the word of the Lord. He sends out his commanders to say this, Who told you to take this city? Who told you that captives would be set free? Who told you you could do all things through Christ? Who told you that you could win? See, and when he tells us that, we st- I mean, I've even had it on the, on the way home on Tuesday night. I'll come home from the, one of the most powerful service. I'm driving home, and, and I'm driving home, and, and I, I hear the enemy say, what was that? What happened tonight? Uh, I'm like, I, I think we had a pretty good service. And then the enemy says, yeah, you, you really think it really, anything really happened? And I'm like, uh, I thought it did. And, and I'm driving, I'm continuing to drive. By the time I get home, I'm like, no, nothing happened. It was a mess. I don't know what I was doing there. See, that's what happens in our life. That's how the enemy works. That's how he works in our life. He speaks those things. And all of a sudden, we begin to hear it. And we hear it over and over. And we have to stop and say, no. No, this isn't the word of the Lord. God told me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said that, you know what, I can take a city. He said that he will set the captives free. He gave us that promise. See, in verse 26, he says this then. He says, Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Jonah said to the field commander of Assyria, they said to them, Please, speak to your servants. Speak to us in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people on the wall. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. What's really taking place? See, the officials are out there saying, listen, stop speaking to us in our Hebrew tongue because, guess, these guys up here on the wall, they're standing guard. They don't need to hear this. Because the next scripture says, because he says to him, he says, why is it because they're eating, their, they're drinking their own urine and they're eating their own excrement. You know what he's saying about that? He's saying because they have made themselves so affixed to the things of God, to be watchmen over the things of God, that they are not, they don't care about what's going on around them. They live in this place. They have set themselves as guards that they are not going to allow the city of Jerusalem. They're not going to allow God's city to be a 
attacked. That's what he's saying there. He's saying, listen, don't talk. I don't want you saying that in their hearing. Don't say it. Don't. It's like I see, I be, the enemy coming out to say, listen, don't say Listen, just talk to me in my language. Don't talk. Talk to me in the old Indian something. Don't talk to them until they can hear it. See, that's what, we, that's what he was saying there. Don't do that. Because they're going to get discouraged. They're going to become afraid. The enemy will tell you to make peace. He will tell you to settle. If you do, he says, you will eat from the fruit of the vine. This is what the enemy tells them. You will eat from the fruit of the vine and drink from your own cistern. Choose life and not death. Hezekiah is the one lying to you. See, that's the way the enemy always works. He told that to Eve. He says, did God really say not to eat of this tree? See, he takes his words. He even uses words that we've heard before. He says, choose life and not death. You want to drink from your own cistern. You want to be able to eat from your own vineyard. Then you know what? Just give up right now. Settle with me. And see, that's where the church of today is. The church of today has settled. We want to eat from our own vineyard. We want to drink from our own cistern. We don't, want, we don't want to be waging war against the enemy. We would rather settle. We've made a peace treaty with the enemy. We've come as close as we can get. And we were like this constantly. We don't know what side we're on. One side we're on the enemies and the next side we're on. Yeah, I'm over here with you, Lord. And the, the church of today, that's where they exist. And where God wants us to exist is over here. Not even close to the line. Don't make a peace treaty with the enemy. Don't let him persuade you. The commander of the Assyrian army issues this challenge. He says, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has God of any nation, has the God of any nation delivered his, his land from the hand of the, king, of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of, I'm not even going to say the word, Hena and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who are all the gods of these countries has been able to save, his, to save their land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? He's telling them this. Look it. You can see our past record. There is not a country that we haven't taken over. There isn't a God out there that has been set up that has been able to stop us. There is nothing that's going to stop the Assyrian army. That's basically what he's telling them. So just give up right now. See, that's what the enemy tells us today. Greg, you know what? This, this thing, the, the revival, that can't happen in Springville. You can't even get all the churches on board. See, what most of the, one of the, all, a lot of the churches want to just be doing their own thing. See, and the problem is, the enemy tries to speak that into and says, how can you see it happen? See, I want to see God transform lives. I want to see God change situations. I want to see captives who are set on meth free. I want to see drug addicts set free. I want to see alcoholics set free. I want to see those like little Linda who comes to this thing who were once uh, uh, were a prostitute and were living a life of sin, even found herself living in a homosexual lifestyle. I want to see those kind of girls. I want to see those kind of men who have been in that kind of lifestyle come out and say, you know what, I want to be transformed by the power of Almighty God. That's why we do this. 
That's why I want to see power. I want to see the power of God change my city. I don't want to just sit back anymore. See, and here's the thing. Jesus, speaking in his last days, he said this in Luke 21, 26. He says, men's hearts will fail them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. See, remember after 9-11, man, the churches were full. Because fear gripped us. See, but when they're saying peace and safety, we're all doing well. See, when I was a first, just a young highway patrolman in, in South Central L.A., some of you guys can remember the nights watching on TV of the Rodney King riots. See, the night when that broke out, I was in South Central L.A. riding in a police car. I was a target for the enemy. And I'm not going to tell you that I didn't have fear. Fear gripped me. It was mass chaos. People were running everywhere. Things were burning. People were being... I remember a guy coming, walking up to me. His stomach was slit open. His guts were hanging out and he was running along the road trying to go find help. That's the kind of, that's the kind of mass chaos that was going on at that time. See, when, when fear grips us, it changes us, it challenges us. And Jesus said this, in the last days, men's hearts are going to fail them. Men's hearts are going to fail them. I'm telling you, if you haven't had it yet, it's coming. It's coming. See, some, some fear is good. A fear of snakes is a good thing. I don't want you out handling snakes like the guy back in Kentucky. But fear from the enemy that grips our hearts is corruptive, constricting, and crippling. It's divisive, demeaning, and destructive. See, fear can chain us, it can hinder our walk with God, and it stifles the move of the Holy Spirit. See, it was fear when, Jesus, when God came back to the, to the garden and, and Adam says, I'm, I'm naked, so I was, I was, I was fearful, so I hid. See, it was fear that the servant, when Jesus told the story about the servants with the talents, he says, it was fear that caused me to go in my backyard and hide it. Fear will keep us from our destiny. Even now, in this move of God, fear can creep in. Did God really speak to you? See, that's what the, the, the enemy tries to say those things to us. Did you really hear from God? See, pastors are gripped the fear of losing their congregations. The fear of stepping out into the move of God. See, at Bethel, when, the, when, when revival came, a thousand people left the church. See, today, we would rather hold on to everything we've got and keep a grip on it instead of seeing the move of God. I can tell you over and over and over stories of where revivals happen and churches, right off the beginning, all of a sudden, a big mass exodus because the people don't want revival. People want comfort. People want to settle. People want a message that will keep them comfortable. Fear will keep us from entering into the battle. What will it cost me? Am I in danger? What about my family? See, the battle's intensified. The battle's intensified. And the first thing we think about is, how's this going to affect me? 
How is this going to hurt me? What's it going to do for my family? See, and God's saying to us, listen, I'll take care of all those things. Yeah, there's going to be some problems. There's going to be some trouble. But you know what? I overcame the world. And if you, even if you die, you win. So you know what? There's no loss in this. This is always the enemy's method. Enemy tells us, make peace with me. Then you can just settle down. If they had settled down and it would have been their demise, that would have been the end of Jerusalem. In 2 Timothy 1.7 it says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. Enemies, the enemy is setting the agenda when we walk with the spirit of fear. If you're walking in fear, the enemy is dictating where you go. If you're walking in the spirit of fear, the enemy is already shifting you on where you're, where you're going to go. So we have to step outside of that. We need to be, not be afraid of losing all that we've worked for. It's not ours to start with. You can't hold it. You can't take it with you. If it's people, they, don't, they belong to the Lord anyway. So don't worry about it. See, fear digs in. It takes root and then it spreads and it grows. Cowards die a thousand times before their death. See, that's a, we've heard that before. There's more than 650 phobias. So our world is full of fear. There are three fear extinguishers, and I'm going to give them to you real quickly. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The last one, the sound mind, is actually the Greek word. It means a disciplined mind, a self-disciplined mind. 2 Kings 18.36, it says, But the people, and this is talking about those leaders of Israel, it says, But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply to the king as he had commanded them. Do not answer him. See, they, they were already told by King Hezekiah, when he gives you all this stuff, don't even answer him. Don't say a word. A self-disciplined mind says this. And this is, I want you to think, Max Ocado says this about sheep. And God always compares us as sheep. He says this about sheep in his book on the 23rd Psalm. He points out that sheep, are not, if they're not attended very closely, they will be in grave danger. For if they're thirsty, they'll just rush to the water. They'll get themselves so soaked with their wool that they can't get out. Well, that sounds like us, doesn't it? It says, there's, they're so in need that, that at times that if they get flies and, and insects on their nose, they'll bash their noses against the ground until they beat themselves senseless. See, God was trying to show us that we need a shepherd who will care for us as sheep, anointing us, keeping the insects away from us, not letting us rush down to the water and get stuck in the mire. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A disciplined mind has, has, has set itself against the enemy and has said, listen, I'm taking captive every thought. My mind, it belongs to Christ. See, that's when I say, my body, body line up with my mind. Mind line up with my spirit. And spirit line up with the Holy Spirit of God. Come into alignment. Because you know what? It's so easy to get off track. Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to be able to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. See, he's saying this, If you do not have a renewed mind, you will not know, you will not understand what is good and pleasing to God. If our minds have not been renewed by the Spirit of God, a self-disciplined mind, where it has been come under the uh, alignment of Christ... We will not be able to understand and distinguish what God's doing. 
See, your mind is the battlefield. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Franklin Roosevelt said this, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So train your mind. Take captive every thought. Make your thoughts obedient to Christ. Because we have the mind of Christ. Number two, love. He says that, that love will conquer fear. And love is, is, that is sacrificial is, is able to be vulnerable. If God loves us enough to give His Son, don't you think He knows what's best for us? See, His love should cause us to trust Him. We trust in silly things. You know, when we go down Highway 190, when we reach, we reach Plano down there, you know, if that light says green, we just run right through it. We trust that the other side is going to be red. We'll put our trust in something mechanical that can fail, but we won't trust, our, we won't trust God who has, is all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. We trust a, a, a stoplight before we trust Him. Think about that. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love will drive out the spirit of fear. Perfect love is not fearful. It trusts, it's confident, it's hope, it's security. Perfect love can only be found in Christ. Isaiah, and there's a, I have a ton of scriptures from David. and He talks about, when I'm afraid, I will trust you. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David understood that as he was out there shepherding his sheep all by himself. He understood that when fear came and tried to grip him, he knew that he was in God's hand. Isaiah says it like this, 41.10. He says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you with my righteous right hand. See, I, there's a ton of... The, I'm not going to go through all these. I want to I close here, but there's a ton of scriptures from Isaiah. He says, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. And what I want you to understand is this. Isaiah was Hezekiah's prophet. See, all this story, I'm, I'm bringing it back around to this. Because, because Isaiah told Hezekiah, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because God is with you. In Isaiah 37.5, he says this, when, the king, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master Hezekiah, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed, because God is going to drive out. He is going to cast out. He is going to dispel fear. In His presence is no fear. See, our fear cries out against God's character. Does He really love us? Can we really trust Him? Is God really big enough? Is He really all-powerful? See, the opposite of fear is, is faith. Faith doesn't operate on feelings. Fear thrives and feeds on feelings. Fear looks inward and finds instability. But faith looks to God. Hezekiah tore his robe. He went into the temple. He said he was, he, he was going to seek God. He was going to... 
He was going to face his fear each time the enemy comes. You know, each time the enemy comes against us, it empowers us even stronger because we understand now what God can do. Each time the enemy comes in and attacks, we see, as we look back even in our lives, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've seen this happen over and over again. You've been at the very, very bottom of where you can be and the enemy just has ravaged you, just beat you up and then all of a sudden God comes in and he says, I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm sufficient. The last thing that extinguishes fear is power. The Greek word here is not human power, but it is a supernatural power and strength which displaces fear. It is the dunamis power of the book of Acts. You shall receive power, mighty power, miraculous power. See, before power, Peter, when the little girl came up and said, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, oh no, I'm not one of them. But after receiving power, he wasn't afraid. When the Sadducees said, what do you choose? Do you choose to choose man or obey God? He says, I choose to obey God. And they flogged him and he went out happy. See, God wants us to be empowered that way. We're taking just this, this man that can't do anything, can't even speak. A little girl tells him, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh no, that's not me. I don't know that man. And then after receiving power, he is miraculously transformed by the power of God. Isaiah 37, 7 says this, Listen, when he hears a certain report, this is the king of Assyria, he's saying, Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down by the sword. See, God will show himself strong. We just have to give him the opportunity. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Billy, you love this one, don't you? To strengthen those hearts are fully committed to Him. God is searching. God is looking. God is watching. He is waiting for those who will fully commit themselves, fully be aware of His presence. See, many of us, we want all this but we don't want to be fully committed. See, you can't have all this what I'm talking about and not be fully committed. You can't have all of this and be lukewarm. You have to be radical. I'm going to tell you, I want to close with a a story about fear. I was a youth pastor back in 1989 in Selma. And that, that weekday, the pastors were gone. And I was the only one there. And, and a man came to the church and he, he needed some money. And he was with his wife. And this was a big, huge, burly, burly guy on a, a Harley Davidson motorcycle. And he came into my office. And the secretary, why she let him in, I don't know. But I was sitting there and I was across from him. And this is before I'm a highway patrolman, before I had a gun. So he's sitting across from me. And he begins to tell me his story. He says, I was an enforcer for the Hells Angels. I grew up at the age of 12. They took me in and I became one of them. An enforcer is basically one who they, they set out to go do all their, their dirty work. His job, he said, was to go and if you've ever heard of Lowell Lundstrom... His, his duty at the time was to go, and he, was, he had a command that he was supposed to go break the legs of Lowell Lundstrom. I don't know why. He didn't give me all the details about it, but Lowell Lundstrom was an evangelist who, who passed away probably about three or four years ago, maybe five years ago. 
powerful evangelist. And so he was in the service. And he's telling me this story. Now in the meantime, he's telling me this, but he's also telling me how he was just down the road from me and he'd, he hadn't quite got completely where he needed to be with the Lord. There was some, still some anger issues he was dealing with. He was in this little phone booth and some, some people uh, came up and were looking at his girlfriend. Now she wasn't really that much to look at and so I wanted to keep my eyes away from her after he told me this story. But anyway, he says that he's in this phone booth and these guys came up and they're looking at his girlfriend so he jumps out of the phone booth, to, overturns the, the phone booth and he jumps up on top of their car and he's jumping up and down and finally he runs them out of there and uh, so after that I'm like, man, I don't even want to look at her. I mean, I, and, and so I'm just paying attention to him and during this time I'm thinking, man, he, this guy has probably killed people and everything else and I think of how can I get out of my office? I don't even know if I want to be here anymore. He continues to tell me his story. Now he's going to break a preacher's legs. Okay, yeah, this is what I want to hear. So, he tells me this story. He's, he's in the service. He's in the back. And at the end of the service, he's, he's, he's ready to get up. And as he stands up, Lowell Lundstrom says, says something and the power of God comes upon him and lays him flat on the ground. And it was at that moment that he received the Lord. Life-changing transformation. However, he still was hooked up with this group. And you just don't walk away from this group. He was on his way to Oregon. He needed a, a, a couple hundred dollars to get to this, this Christian camp that they have up there for bi bikers. And he was trying to get away. So, I helped him out. But the power of God was so strong. I mean, here is this man that's, that's, that's taken life, probably squeezed the life out of people, and yet, in the midst of that, God's power lays him out. Amen. Transformed him. I want you to understand tonight is this, is that God says this, to, don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't worry about when the enemy comes. He's going to present himself. See, in 2 Chronicles 32.1, it says, After all Hezekiah did so faithfully, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for themselves. And when Hezekiah saw this, that he had come and intended to wage war, he had to call on God. Here is the king of Assyria at his door. I want you to think about this today. The, the enemy is at our door. The enemy is at our door right here in Springville. Those of us who live at Sequoia Don, the enemy roams right around a lot, doesn't he, Bo? <laughs> but that's why we want to see... The power of God change and transform. I said it last week. I said, when this place falls, and I don't mean physically destruction, I mean from the enemy's hands, the enemy's clutches. When it falls, I'm telling you, there is going to be an avalanche. There is going to be a tidal wave that is going to sweep over this area. Amen. That's why God strategically put us right here. So that we can see. And yet, in, in, in the midst of all this, like, Pastor Bill Johnson says, and, and then we get to be in the room when God shows up. See, tonight, that's the cry of my heart, is this, God, I want to make a place for you. I want to make a place for you when you show up. That I get to be there. See, it wasn't by Hezekiah's might. It wasn't because Hezekiah was strong that he had this big, vast army. It was because he knew who he believed in. 
And he had anchored himself in that. Did fear rise up? Yeah. But God's telling us today, listen, trust me. He has given us, he says, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a self-disciplined mind. Those three things will combat the enemy. Perfect love drives out fear. Tonight, you know, a couple, was it two weeks ago, a lady came forward and her, her prayer was, was for fear. Billy and I prayed for her. And immediately, just the Spirit of God came upon her, laid her down on the floor, and, and miraculously she was delivered from fear. She, she was trying to tell us about it even after the service, how God had touched her. I want you to understand tonight, God wants to... I want to make an opportunity for Him. I want to make a place for Him. Amen. That's what He's calling...